looking at God's Word. So just, just a, a fresh good morning, everyone. It's exciting to be uh, continuing our preaching series, looking at Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. Um, <laughs> it would be a fascinating thing, I think, to dip into someone's mind, see how fast the cogs are working. I mean, and that's something to consider. If you wanted to dip into anyone's mind, who would, who would you dip into and why? Don't have to answer that now, by the way. I, I picture my mind being slow, really, slowly turning, I think whilst producing a melody. I think if, that's, if, you, want to, if you want to catch a glimpse into my mind, there's a slow turning cogs whilst producing, like a, like a wind-up music box, I think. That's what's happening in my head. And today we're going to take the opportunity to dip into the mind of Paul, this apostle, this guy who had encountered Jesus, had been changed by Jesus, and now was being sent by Jesus beyond the borders of Jerusalem with this mission to make the good news of Jesus known to the surrounding Greek-speaking cities and towns that at the time were being ruled by the Roman Empire. You know that through him and his team and God working through him, many people, many people came to faith in Jesus. Many church families were established in those cities and towns. And in Scripture today, in the Scripture today, we're actually going to hopefully gain some insight into Paul's thinking and decision-making, particularly when it comes to his missional approach, which is why today's preach is titled, Wisdom in practice. Through the text, we are going to look at three ways in, that wisdom is applied by Paul and how that might be wisdom for us when it comes to living our lives as those who follow Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? And we're going to be reading through verses 1 to 5. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to be reading through verses 1 to 5. So Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so, Father, we just want to thank you for your word, Lord. And I pray even now, Lord, that, Lord, you would bring a revelation and a changing in our hearts, Lord, that we too might not have our faith rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so we trust you and your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So these, these five verses, they're really sandwiched within the flow of Paul drawing this contrast between, on one hand, the wisdom of God... On the other hand, the wisdom of man. And to give just a brief definition regarding that word wisdom, wisdom is taking what we know and what we understand and, I guess, putting it to use with good judgment. 
in a very... It's hard to hold a mic and turn a page at the same time. In a very conversational way, uh, Paul is writing to Corinth from Ephesus. And I'm, this is the way I'm picturing him. He's, he's pacing up and down. And he's having this imaginary conversation with the church. You know, he delivers a theological statement, and then he imagines what their rebuttal might be, and then he responds accordingly, and then you've got the scribe in the corner who's trying to desperately capture it all onto paper. But here in these five verses, Paul is disclosing to the church that he was intentionally methodical in how he was with them and why he was with them in that way. There is a care and a consideration that Paul has when it comes to putting into practice the mission that God has entrusted him with. And that leads him to, well, tweaking and adjusting how he approaches each city, town, and people group that he meets. So let's have a little look at some of the insight that we gain from Paul and the wisdom that is put into practice, starting with Paul's concern for the cross. And when I came to you, brothers... Did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't know if you've ever been or part of a walk of witness before. It's where the church, um, in fact, we're, we're coming to, drawing close to Easter time now, so we're coming towards it, where the church remembers the road that Jesus walked to the place of his crucifixion on the day which we would call Good Friday. And so in remembrance, the church walks together with the cross being held or carried at the front. The cross goes before all the people. And here in Paul's letter, he is calling the church to remember how he came to them. That as he entered the gates of Corinth, he held the cross of Jesus high out in front of him. And in doing so, I believe he was seeking to do a couple of things, really. One, ensure that the cross remains front and center to the conversation. And two, ensure that Paul remains in the shadow of Jesus. And we'll pick that up a little bit later when we look at Paul's concern for himself. So the city of Corinth, it was, it was unused to the... In, or, sorry, not unused to the introduction of new teachings and, and philosophies. In fact, it would have been something that was embraced and celebrated. The Greeks, they loved their wisdom. But the message of Christ was something that Paul didn't, didn't want to end up being like diluted into the conversation alongside many other stories of love and good and evil and gods and humans. There is something different about what Paul was bringing. Christ crucified was a unique selling point that the other philosophies didn't have. The God who gave his life for the world that he had created. And so it's to this that Paul in his letter points to again and again to make it the main thing. He strips away every other tool that could be used to convince the people with one exception. One exception that would authenticate this message above all others and bring it beyond the words of his mouth. He looked to the power of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that was how the message of Christ would not just be about another addition to the wisdom collection in the Corinthian library. 
because it came with more than just words. It was accompanied by the demonstration of the Spirit's power. And as we seek to learn from Paul, I think we can draw in, I think, some wisdom for us from the Scripture. That as we, firstly, that as we adventure forward together as church family, I think we need to be mindful to keep Jesus front and center of the conversation. Seems, seems like a simple thing, doesn't it? That Christ crucified is and always will be a fundamental part of the Christian faith. And that we must not be careful not to allow the message of Christ to be diluted and just become another part of the collection of wisdom literature that our Western culture loves. We have a message that stands apart from all messages, a God that stands apart from all other gods, and a truth that stands apart from all other truths. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And thank God for his grace, hey? I know there have been a few times in my life where I've taken that cross that I've held in front of me and I've tucked it under my arm for a bit just so that conversations were a little bit more comfortable. I know God's not holding me accountable for that, but he's also, when we come back to his word, he stirs you afresh. Stirs you afresh through his word to keep our concern my concern for the cross held high and to be intentional to keep Jesus front and center of the conversation, particularly in church life, particularly in church life where we can get caught up in all sorts of other things. Sometimes it takes really hard work to keep the main thing the main thing. And secondly, with that in mind, what authenticates the message of Jesus is is what accompanies it. The power of God. We need the power of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Christ crucified is of no value without the resurrection. The message of Jesus is just a message without the authentication of its power, power to bring about change, to wipe away your sins, to set you in right relationship with God, to give you a hope and a future. Provide a family of brothers and sisters who belong to God, even in a really chilly meeting space, hey? (laughs) Paul goes to Corinth with the message of Christ crucified held up high but it is also accompanied by a demonstration of the Spirit's power and that's why we aspire to be a word and spirit church Adam, as in Adam and Eve Adam's body is just a body until God breathes into him the breath of life the Bible would just be ink on paper if not authenticated by a God who breathes himself into it that's why Paul says it's living and active. Was that Hebrews, actually? It might be Hebrews. Might be. For all of us who have decided to put their faith in Christ and in the truth of his death for our sins and his love for us, we also, we have a testimony. The power of God at work in us individually, changing us. We, we are not who we were before Christ. Amen? <laughs> we are now different. We've experienced the grace, the kindness of God, and now we carry that grace and that kindness to others. We can't have one without the other. We need both, the word of God and the power of God, the message of Jesus and God's Holy Spirit at work. And it's that, 
That is what sets it apart from every other philosophy, from all other matters of wisdom. And Paul uses it to demonstrate to the Corinthian church the difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God, the same way that we should preciously the same thing and the same wisdom we should hold preciously onto today. Okay, so let's look at another way that we see wisdom applied by Paul in this passage by looking at Paul's concern for the people so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So in verse 5, Paul gives the reason why he came to the Corinthians with this kind of intentionality to keep it simple. The message of Christ crucified and a demonstration of God's power. Where your faith rests is important. And Paul is wanting to protect the people from putting their trust in something that is ultimately fallible versus something that is unshakable. Paul knew that the wisdom of man could not ultimately save them. Only the message of Christ and the power of God could. So, strategically, he steers clear of engaging with an eloquent tongue or plausible words of wisdom. I try to do that as well, by the way. In doing this, he is directing any attention from himself and is preventing any, and this is important, and preventing any unnecessary stumbling blocks for the Corinthian people. Helping Paul is helping Paul to keep the main thing the main thing. There's godly wisdom in what Paul does for the sake of the people out of his concern for them. And there's a couple of things that we can draw from that as well. So firstly, whilst there are certainly times to reason with others and platforms to share wisdom with another, winning the wisdom battle is not going to bring about change in people. God is the only one who can bring about change and transformation with others. That's because of his power. That's because of his Holy Spirit. And that's the wisdom that Paul actually wants to point the people towards. We can take great encouragement from that. I certainly do, because we're not the ones responsible for changing hearts. Only God does that. But we must also recognize he might do that through your faithfulness. Your faithfulness to go and hold Christ high out in front of you as you walk this road of life. And secondly, I think we should be mindful, I think, like Paul, not to put any unhelpful stumbling blocks before others. And the main thing. Christ crucified and the power of God to change. That's the main thing. So let's not let's be mindful not to make things too complicated for ourselves. I'm all thing I'm all for being simple, okay? That includes the language that we use, it includes the songs that we sing, the conversations that we have, the events that we do. Jesus doesn't make it complicated for people to come to him. John seven thirty seven, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him Come to me and drink. Meaning that if you want to know who God is, go and find out. When Jesus physically walked the earth, the guy was accessible. He wasn't a king in his palace surrounded by guards whom you can only approach by appointment. He was a king among the people. And he went to them as much as they gathered to him. And that physical example helps us to understand the spiritual truth and reality. You can always come to Jesus. He is always available to be approached. He can come to you. You can come to him. 
Now, we are a people who have a mission to show people to Jesus, to invite, to share about this wonderfully accessible Savior. And at times, that can be actually harder than you think to do without actually putting unnecessary stumbling blocks in the way. But we can learn from Paul's applied wisdom, actually, to be intentional, to do everything really within our capability and capacity to help direct people to Jesus by keeping the main thing the main thing. And finally, as we look to draw in some uh, more wisdom from Paul, I wanted to finish on this one, I think, really, because I found this quite, quite fascinating to observe Paul's behavior, particularly with the people of Corinth. So we're going to spend our last bit of time looking at Paul's concern for himself. I think the way that Paul approaches the Corinthians and the way that he handles Jews and Greeks tells you a lot about himself and how God is at work in him. I mean, even if we look at verse 3, Paul's language of weakness, fear, and trembling is capturing something of the power of God at work through him. You know, the Greek word for fear is the same word that we use um, to capture that sense of awe. It's said of the early church that awe came upon every soul. And that word awe that we see at work in the early church was related to the work of God through his spirit, binding his people together for that purpose of mission and family and community. Awe is when you get this combination of fear and wonder coming together, the sense of known and unknown. And you can certainly see that at work in Paul here in these verses. But you also get this kind of predetermined choice by Paul to approach the Corinthian people in a particular way. Verse 2 says, For I decided. Paul made a decision to come, not with lofty speech, nor with wisdom, but to simply hold Jesus front and center. And it's Paul's intentionality, I think, that we're going to give our time to, a little bit of our time to. What's your CV like? Let's review Paul's CV just very briefly. Okay, so we discover in Acts 22, Paul is born a Jew, born in the Tarsus of Cilicia, uh, raised in the city of Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, a well-respected teacher of the Jewish law. And Philippians, you know, it's the, it's the equivalent of basically saying, yeah, you know, I... Um, I went, to, I went to school in, I don't know, some, I'll say some sort of grammar school kind of based teaching. I then went on to Oxford and Cambridge. I studied at the, you know, under the professor, what's his face? Because I don't know anyone in that field. <clears throat> but it's the equivalent of kind of showing your credentials before the people. And the people would have looked at that and said, oh, okay. Okay, Wow. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel, he was a well-respected teacher of the Jewish law. In Philippians 3, 5 to 8, Paul shares his experience, the experience he had before encountering Jesus in writing this letter to, in writing a letter to the church. He says, um, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. It's like a big, massive brag, you know of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. 
skeptic. Thank you very much. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. It's like holding that and saying, yeah, I persecuted Christians. As to righteousness under the law, blameless, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul was a sharp guy. In terms of wisdom, in the world's eyes, he would be able to stand his ground well. So I find it fascinating that in opportunities to flex a little bit here in Corinth, a city known for its love and wisdom, he stays well clear. He's reserved when it comes to engaging in that type of intellectual arena. He's resolved that the only thing that he's going to bring to the table is the message of Christ crucified and a demonstration of God's power at work through his Holy Spirit. Why? We know he has a concern for the cross. He wants to keep that front and center. That would be one reason. doesn't want anyone to draw any unnecessary attention away from Jesus. We also know he has a concern for the people. He wants their faith to rest in the power of God, not in the wisdom of men. But I do think another key reason, actually, is that Paul knows himself and therefore has a concern for himself. I think Corinth is his type of environment. This type of thing is his playground. And yet God has called him out of that and into something new. He's on a mission for Jesus, and now... He's seeking to administer a different kind of wisdom, a wisdom that comes from God. Paul says earlier in 1 Corinthians 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. So if Paul wanted to successfully self-promote, build a name for himself, have a platform, maybe add a few thousand followers to his TikTok account, I believe he would easily find success with the Jews and Greeks by appealing to their demands, demonstrate God's power to the Jews, and deliver wisdom to the Greeks. But he intentionally chooses to flip that approach on its head, and he reasons in wisdom with the Jews, and he demonstrates signs to the Greeks. Why does he choose to do that? It's John the Baptist who says of Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. When Paul says in verse 2, I have decided... This is him committing to an approach that keeps Paul in the shadow and keeps Jesus front and center. And I think ultimately it helps keep Paul's feet on the ground. I think part of Paul's intentional strategy is recognizing actually where he's strong and where he's weak. Recognizing those environments where there is a danger of becoming puffed up and prideful and therefore the environments where he desperately needs God's help. And that is a mark to me of the significant change that has occurred in Paul as a result of knowing Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He is aware of his potential danger to fall short, to make these moments about him and what he can do over, what, over who Jesus is and what he can do. That's a heart change where he is considering the glory of God over the glory of himself. A heart change that really impacts Paul's decision-making. So what do we do with that? So I think it's helpful, uh, maybe even important, actually, to recognize those things that we have, firstly, a measure of control over and the things that we don't. 
I think here with Paul, you know, the fear and trembling, this awe, that's a result of something he just really doesn't have control over. It's the power of God at work in him. And I think actually we should expect that there's going to be times we just find ourselves completely overwhelmed by God's presence and power at work in us, bringing us to that place of fear and wonder because you know God is at work. But of course, alongside that, we've got Paul's intentionality. He says, I've decided that Paul has looked ahead to the situation, to the environment, and said, in order to give God the most glory, to be most pleasing to him, my behavior actually needs to be more like this. Which I guess really helps me lead, uh, leads me nicely into the next point about self-awareness. How well do you know yourself? Have a look at your own personal CV. Look at your strengths and your weaknesses. Review your gifts and your talents. Now, I think what Paul teaches us, even from this behavior here in Corinth, is that you can exercise your gifts. Paul's not, not exercising his gifts. Your talents and your strengths, you can exercise them to their utmost. That is the beauty of being brothers and sisters in Christ, that there is a body of diversity that all brings something wonderful to the table, and we're all called to exercise those giftings. However, can you read the environment ahead? Can you see the potential pitfalls? Do you know the situations where exercising and gifting might lead you to a place becoming a bit puffed up and prideful? Can you see those scenarios where glory may end up being given to you instead of to God? Now, I'm just going to say this outright. All of us will fall short in this. I certainly have. I've definitely put myself into positions knowing I am going to shine out of personal ambition rather than to the glory of God and to the blessing of his people. And that can be from anything, from small thing to pretty big stuff. However, for those who are being transformed by Jesus, we are looking to that heart change. And therefore, our self-leadership is governed by our great desire to give glory to God in all circumstances. So before we finish by looking at our final bit of wisdom applied, practically, I think... I think it's a really worthwhile task to know yourself. Understand those areas that will lift you up and understand those areas that will cause you to fall. Knowing those things will help inform the choices you make and to a degree that's always going to be a little bit of a wrestle. You need to know that God's grace is with you. But he's looking for that aspiration in you to live a life for him. David, King David, he fell. Fell massively. But he had a heart that was after God. God sees the heart, sees the aspiration, sees who you're going to become in him. He must increase. I must decrease. The wisdom applied by Paul seeks to bring glory to God through keeping a concern for the cross, a concern for the people, and a concern for himself. Now, as we look to respond to the word, and come back to the place of expressing ourselves. Well, let me invite the band to come lead us in worship. Come ready to lead us. And if you're able, should we stand together?
I really would like to um, bring us to that place where we are actively turning to the wisdom of God over the wisdom of men. That we take a moment right here and now to reset ourselves before God. That Jesus is the one who is rightfully front and center and held high. That he is at the forefront of our conversations. That we carry that great concern for the cross. That we would also be intentional about not placing any unnecessary stumbling blocks, starting with our own relationship with God, but also before others and their relationship with God. Even for those who are yet to give their lives to Jesus, Jesus has made himself readily available. And let's not put unnecessary stumbling blocks before those who are seeking Jesus. Let's try to keep the main thing the main thing. And finally, as we look to be a people who, through hearts that have been changed, want to live a life that brings glory to God, let's examine ourselves, let's know ourselves, and let's, let's look to the wisdom of God to help us navigate life and to be a people set apart for him. Put that wisdom into practice. And let's remember the grace of God through it all. I feel like there may be, yeah, there's, there's maybe just a few of you here, right here, right now, who need to receive that. Remember the grace of God through it all. God is looking for your heart to be aspiring to follow him. He knows that we're all going to slip up and fall at points, but he's looking for the heart aspiring to put that wisdom into practice, to live that life that is set apart for him. So Father, I pray even now, Lord, I thank you that your word is there rightfully to not just encourage us, and, but build us up and challenge us as well. Shape us, mold us, grab hold of us at times, shake us a little bit at times but it's for our good and for your glory. And it's not meant as a, as a moment to hit us over the head. It's meant to bring us out the other side as ones who are strengthened in you. And I pray that, Father, even now, Lord, you would go about the process of just bringing about that reset. Lord, maybe where we've carried that cross under our arm to make conversations a bit comfortable. Lord, may we just go about the business of, Lord, having a heart that's about putting Jesus front and center and held high again. Lord God, where we've made it difficult maybe for other people to access you. I know, I know we can do that a little bit. You know, throw a little obstacle. Hey, behavior needs it. No, 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 no. Jesus is always accessible. Jesus is readily available. Let us be the people who are ushering, ushering people to you. I thank you, Lord God, that we can really absolve ourselves of responsibility of changing hearts, but I do pray that, Father, we'd also be found faithful in bringing testimony about you. So uh, in this reset moment, Lord, grab hold of our hearts, Lord. Bring glory to your name. May your grace flow. 
May your love flow and meet us, Lord, where we're at, Lord. But do bring about change, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.